I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com and the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes in multiple ways. You can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can hit us up on hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we will review the Giants draft class in a little bit more detail today. We'll focus on the angle of special teams and how that will shake up the roster potentially. And we'll have a special guest coming up a little bit later on who has a direct connection to one of the Giants' high draft picks and can give us a little bit more intel, a little bit more background info in terms of what he'll bring to Big Blue. So, Paul, I think when you look at the back end of the depth chart, and John and I were getting into a little bit of this earlier in the week, it's going to be a very interesting conversation for this coaching staff as well as the front office when mm-hmm. they make roster cuts to determine how much special teams plays a role and does a player make the back end of the roster because of his potential on special teams. And positions that I'm looking at specifically are wide receiver. There's a high volume of guys now all of a sudden based on the draft. Cornerback slash safety, the defensive backfield, has a lot of players. And then, of course, the tight end room, even though they didn't necessarily bring in somebody through the draft, but that's another area and facet that is highly influenced by special teams. Well, you look at the two defensive backs the Giants took on the sixth and seventh rounds, right? And the first thing you say to yourself, well, they've got some length and they certainly got some speed. Obviously, Hawkins you know, ran, I think, 4-4 flat. So you look at it that and you say, okay, you know, at the very least, even if they can't compete on the depth chart, special teams is probably where they're going to land because we all know that defensive backs are often going to be keys to special teams. Well, first of all, they got to beat out Nick McLeod. McLeod, I think, was their best gunner last year. Yep. He's an incumbent. He's still on the team, so you're going to have to beat him out. All right, I think you always look for an upgrade when you can find one. So I'm not saying he's an all-pro. He's not a Michael Thomas. But he did a solid job, but you got to see if you can improve on that spot. So I think those two guys immediately look there and say, okay, can we beat out a McLeod to be the lead gunner on the team? But the other problem that you run into, of course, when you decide, and the Eagles used to do this a lot, over the course of of their dominance on special teams, they used to save three or four roster spots on the back of the 53 for guys who are exclusively special teams demons. That's why they were always top 10 in the league every year. Sure. Yeah, Maragos is one guy in recent history that comes to mind. So you have to decide, do you have the luxury of saving a spot or two or even three for those kinds of guys? Is your team so far along that you can do that. I don't know that the Giants are quite there yet. And if not, now those special teams gurus that you're talking about, well, they're going to have to be able to to be functional in other positions. Well, when you consider how many wide receivers the Giants now have in the wide receiver room, and even if you discount Robinson 
and Shepard and suggest that they're going to be PUP at the start of the season. The Giants could easily have, what, eight or nine functional wide receivers that have the ability to play in this league. Now, I'm not talking about superstars. No, but guys that can contribute. But guys who yeah. can absolutely contribute. So so that's going to be a very interesting equation as the Giants try to figure out the math. What are you going to do with the DBs, the possible special teams usage, compared to how many receivers are you going to keep, knowing that Robinson and Shepard at some point are going to come off PUP if they even start there. Sure, that's speculation. And you're yeah. going to have to wind up pairing other guys all right, and and remember, Jeff Smith is going to be part of that equation, the former Jet, yep. who's who's known to be a special team guy. And then, what does this do to your tight end room? Because when you look at the Giants' tight ends, you know what you got in Waller, you know what you have in Bellinger, and what you hope to have as he continues to mature and ascend. But then, do you keep three tight ends, or do you keep four? All of a sudden, those numbers get very, very thin. I mean, we know Cager is a capable receiving backup. We know that they signed Tommy Sweeney off the Buffalo roster. Blocker. As a blocker, but you but you know the Buffalo connection made him a sought-after player that they they made an effort to try to get him down here. And then you got Myrick, who has doubled as a fullback and H-back more so than even those other guys and been utilized effectively in a small role over the course of his time with the Giants. Well, that's five. There's no way they're keeping five. Even if you stash one or two of them on the practice squad, you're still not keeping five. You keep four, but five is a stretch. I think yeah. I think probably two active and maybe two practice squad or three active and one practice squad, but five guys are not making it. So to me, the defensive back slash special teams, slash wide receiver, slash tight end equation is all tied in together as you try to construct your 53. So I'm going to really be looking at those spots as the Giants progress through the course of the year. And the health of the overall roster, too, is tied into that because if somebody starts on pup, that gives you more ammunition to keep additional wide receivers. If Shepard and Wandell Robinson are active, Paul, then you maybe don't need to have an insurance policy in the early stages of the season. Well, think about it now, right? I think we're going to agree with this. Slayton, Hodges, uh, Hyatt are definitely on the team, right, opening day. Unless they get hurt, they're on the team opening day, right? Uh, If Shepard or Robinson or both are healthy enough to make the team. Yeah, they could easily be on the roster as well. Okay, that could be five right there. Now, don't forget, Colin Johnson's coming back off of injury, and I don't think he's a throwaway. No, not at all. I think he's got something to offer. Well, he offers something different than the other guys. Okay, we know that they signed Crowder for a reason. God knows he killed them when he was with Washington. He was a very, very deadly weapon against the Giants when they used to play their NFC And rivals. a special teams return guy. No doubt. They signed Smith to be a slash special teams guy. So now, what are you supposed to do? Uh, and we didn't even mention Paris Campbell, too, by the way. So didn't even mention guy. Paris Campbell. Yeah. So, That's nine players, by the way. Uh, and by the way, the other thing is, if you believe the reports that are out there, that Ford Wheaton is coming in for a guaranteed a salary that's supposed to be more than even a practice squad's annual salary, well, that tells you they kind of really wanted him to be here too. That's or it thing. tells you they really want a lot of competition too. That could be another no doubt. Not necessarily that they're guaranteed to make the roster, but they want volume now, to determine who's going to make the, the roster. The problem is, and I didn't even mention David Sills. I mean, that's a lot of bodies. Now, it's not the most elite wide receiving core in the NFL, but if you're telling me about functional players who I think have the ability to contribute to a National Football League team, that room is overly stuffed. Well, you have players that offer a different facet to the passing attack and offer special teams versatility because Jeff Smith and Jamison Crowder, for example, they can I mean, play specials. those are two guys that are specialists. In that department. They can play specials, yes. And you figure one of those two is a good chance of hanging around because of what they can offer. Now, I posted the other day on Twitter, and folks, again, give us a call if you like, 201-939-4513. I ask you this, Lance. 
because I don't have an answer for it yet. Who are your three most important special teams guys, aside from your long snapper, your holder, your punter, your kicker? So your kickoff return guy was Brightwell last year, who was 10th in the National Football League in kickoff return average. I think he's okay, but might you try to upgrade? Maybe. Your punt return guy, Richie James, is gone to Kansas City. So you got to figure out who your punt returner is. I don't know who that is right now. I really don't. Darnay Holmes. I mean, Dory Jackson did have experience. I but don't think he got you hurt. ought to do that. Yeah, so I'm sure that's going to influence. I mean, you know me. You know where I stand with that. But, I know, but yeah. I don't think they're going to want No, to I, I would think they're going to go in the direction. After what happened last year, I don't see that happening again. Yeah. Okay. So who's your punt returner? And who is your gunner? Now, I, right now, Brightwell and McLeod are still on the team. So I think they've got maybe a, a good step up on the other guys for those two spots. But I have no idea who the punt return guy is going to be. And I don't want to hear that, oh, these six guys have all returned punts at some point. Okay, maybe. But that doesn't give him a head up on the job or a foot up on the job. I still think that the punt return spot is wide open. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're trying to upgrade the other two spots either. Well, but I would give a leg up to Jamison Crowder because he does have a lot of experience in that department. He's not just a guy, Paul, that you'd bring up, oh, hey, five years ago no, he he's returned not a just few kickoffs or punts. He's done that consistently year in and year out. So I would say he's the clubhouse leader. Right now, if you were to pose the question, I have no idea who the punt returner is. If you I had would, to play Sunday. I would think Jamison Crowder would be the answer. I would probably put Crowder as my punt returner if I had to play Sunday as well. Yep. But we also went over a very deep wide receiver's room. And is it impossible that Crowder winds up on the outside looking in by the time it's done? Absolutely. Even though they signed him as a free agent. Could he possibly get beaten out? He could. I don't I don't know that he makes the active roster on Sundays. This this wide receiver room is gonna be a real battle. Well, that's a good thing. It's a good problem sure to have it is. if you're the coaching staff. And I think that was an intended maneuver this offseason between free agency and the draft. And I think also they want to protect themselves because what did we talk about all offseason last year, Paul? The injuries that hit that position, right? It's not just Crippling. about it's not about how the group looks entering week one. It's about do you feel good that you can get through the season and if there's hypotheticals where you lose one player do you have somebody else that could fill in and there's not a great deal of drop-off? I think that's the other thing mm -hmm. that is a big part of the conversation and the dialogue this offseason that Joe Shane and Brian Dable sat down and said, you know, we don't want to necessarily get into another situation where we hope Isaiah Hodgins is available off of waivers because the Bills <laughs> decide to part ways with him. Lightning does not always strike twice. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why I think they made a concerted effort to say, hey— you know, let's try to find a variety of different guys. Because as we were going over the positional group, Paris Campbell, he's somebody that's a vertical threat, that has some speed. And then you talked about Jeff Smith and Jamison Crowder. They're more from the special team school of thought. Mm -hmm. Jalen Hyatt is a guy that is a speedster who could take the top off the ball. Stop right there. Would you consider giving Hyatt a shot to win the return duties? Yeah, absolutely. With the kind of speed he has? Sure. I wouldn't have any hesitation, right? though I know a lot of people are going to say, no, don't allow him to take extra hits because he is an up-and-coming player. But the bottom line is, Jalen Hyatt's not coming in and playing 90% of the snaps He's in not. year one. He's so not. There's actually going to be room for him to contribute in that area. And if he proves that he could do it, perhaps, perhaps, again, I'm not suggesting it will happen. I'm saying he could be part of the competition. Why wouldn't you at least give him an opportunity during the offseason to see what his capabilities are? And I'm sure they will. I mean, to your point, he's got great skill set with speed. Why wouldn't you try to tap into that? Because if he could give you five to six extra yards in a return, don't you think that's a critical difference? Now, I agree with you. I think you have to give him a chance in the competition. But there will be fans out there right now who are going to say, oh my God, no, don't, don't sure. even... Think about it. You know that's going to happen. 100%. Well, listen, we went through that whole debate when Adore Jackson got hurt last season, so I wouldn't think that the conversation would go in opposite direction. But I also remember, as much as fans are into it and everything, at the end of the day, it's in the hands of Brian Dable and the coaching staff to determine no what direction they want to go in. And I don't think Dable seems to be a guy that just because somebody was hurt in a previous season, he's been around the NFL for many years. He's been there. He's done that. He's seen it. I don't think he's going to shy away 
from giving a young player an opportunity who may play an integral role on the offensive side of the ball simply because one of his defensive starters was banged up on a return. It just it doesn't seem that this is a coaching staff that would go in that direction. Would they probably be a little bit leery with putting, once again, a Dory Jackson out there again this season? 100%. Mm-hmm. That I could see because they want to see him get through the entire season. But a young guy who is not going to play a high number of snaps right out of the gate, I mean, why wouldn't you? And here's the other thing, Paul, and this goes back to the injury concern. Maybe Jalen Hyatt's not the return guy in the early stages of the season. But what happens if somebody at that position gets hurt? four or five weeks into the season, and you gave Hyatt opportunities in the preseason Mm -hmm. or in practice during training camp, now you're not necessarily as much as at a baptism by fire scenario as you would be if now you have to get him ready within the span of one week leading into that game. It goes back to the more you can do philosophy. Yep. And, you know, when you draft the Jalen Hyatt and you're doing it primarily because of his incredible speed – because when he hits that afterburner button, I was talking about this with John over the weekend, you push that afterburner button, it's like the flame coming out of the back of the Batmobile. All of a sudden, it's it's a sure. whole second gear. His burst and his acceleration and his second gear is is pretty sweet. And you could obviously see how he would make use of that on special teams. So, yes... Do I think the Giants, over the course of the next several years, want him to be a huge part of the passing game? Absolutely. But to me, that would not restrict him from being part of special teams. I'm with you. I think you've got to give him a chance. I want to bring up another name, and I know we maybe perused the running back room, but we didn't necessarily break it down in great detail. You mentioned Gary Brightwell in passing. Eric Gray, their fifth-round pick. He may be an option, too. He, from what I've understood talking to some people about him, he might have some kickoff return capabilities, not necessarily Well, but return. still, a special teams person, somebody that could at least be in the mix. So Gary Brightwell will have some competition, perhaps. Well, and remember, that may be influenced based on the role that they find in the backup third-string running back situation because you do have Matt Breida still on the mm-hmm. roster. But remember, I thought Brightwell did a really nice job with his opportunities he last did. season. And I actually— I understand we were talking a lot about them drafting a running back, and they ultimately did. But I still feel if the Giants want to continue to expand Brightwell's role, I don't see any crime. Well, they could. I think he earned it. And and I don't think Breida is a long-term— yeah, Well, he only re-signed for a year. Running so, back, yeah. right. So, so for them to draft a developmental, I think all of us thought that that was a legit— mid-round possibility and quite honestly I liked Gray's fit there in the fifth round he was one of the guys that I had on my radar uh and and he does catch the ball well out of the backfield too and he's sturdy and he's tough between the tackles he keeps his legs churning and he's not afraid to pick up the blitz he's he's physical contact is is not a problem for him so I think Gray could carve out himself a bit of a of, of a role even if Saquon Barkley is the bell cow I wouldn't be surprised to see Gray take some snaps as a running back this year. It would not shock me at all. Well, listen, Barkley has dealt with his fair share of injuries. That's been well documented. I don't think it hurts if they can find, especially somebody who's more reliable on third down as a Mm -hmm. threat, as a receiver. If you want to alleviate and soften the blow that Barkley's going to take over the course of a season, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a wise game plan because, once again, you just don't know how the year's going to pan out. I think the way I compared Gray... He doesn't have the burst and that second gear that Ahmad Bradshaw had, but he has an awful lot of Ahmad Bradshaw's traits. There's that toughness factor. The toughness factor between the tackles, not afraid to keep the legs churning and moving forward. Uh, I think he's like 5'9 and a half, 205 pounds or something in that vicinity. Uh, catches the ball out of the backfield, will pick up the blitz. There's a lot here of Ahmad Bradshaw in Eric Gray. But what he doesn't have, Bradshaw could break a 50-yard run because he had that extra burst. He could hit that accelerator and take it deeper. Gray does get caught, okay? So so he doesn't necessarily have that home run long speed that Bradshaw had. But there is a lot of Ahmad Bradshaw in Eric Gray, and I believe that he absolutely, it's why I had him targeted as a, as a potential radar pick for the Giants in the, in the fifth because I see him as a long-term guy who could potentially be part of a running back rotation. And we know when Bradshaw was here, you know, you had Ward, you had Jacobs, and you had Bradshaw. 
you know, and then, of course, Ward was gone, and you still had Jacobs and Bradshaw. You didn't have to necessarily long-term, you know, regardless of how long Barkley's here, whether it's this year, this year, or next year. The point is, if three, four years down the road, Barkley is not here anymore, you may go to more of a rotational running back room. Committee. And I think Gray can be a lead guy in that room. I think he's got that kind of long-term potential. Well, plus, let's assume that they don't get a long-term deal done with Barkley. That's more of a reason why you want to continue to develop the backfield because you don't know what's going to happen. Now, if Barkley signs a long-term deal, maybe it changes the dynamics. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't develop somebody, but if he doesn't, I think there's a little bit more ammunition behind seeing truly what Eric Gray Mm -hmm. can do and if he could be part of that one-two punch that you were just discussing. No question. pass protection is another aspect that he has to prove. earn opportunities at the pro level he will yeah you know I I do see a willingness of him to do that though he's tough he's rugged and playing in Oklahoma it's not like he's played against the sisters of the poor sure no big time program he's been tested and that that's very critical and you know again we don't know how long Brightwell is going to be here we don't know how long Breed is going to be here Jay Sean Corbin's on the practice squad I know we look really good last summer but hey more the merrier you know running back is a position where guys get hurt so another situation why a developmental running back was a smart play and the Giants were able to take advantage and get a good guy who could make, make something happen. And also, even if you are worried about the numbers game, some of those names that you just mentioned, if they do have to go through waivers, I think there's a good chance the Giants get them back and can put them on the practice squad. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why they picked up uh, Tommy DeVito, the former Don Bosco high school quarterback who went to Illinois. because And I had this conversation with somebody, and I said, do you think the Giants who need a third quarterback because Davis Webb decided to retire and become a coach with the Broncos, do you think that the Giants would take a sixth or seventh flyer, round flyer, on a QB? Because, you know, Tyrod Taylor has avoidable after this year. So he could be gone at the end of this season. And he's got a lot of mileage on his tires as well. Right. So you're going to need someone who could maybe be a three now, but eventually be a two next year. So do you take a developmental guy who could be a backup to Daniel Jones? And I thought about it, and then I said, you know what? I don't think so, because the third quarterback has got to get through waivers to get to the practice squad. They're not going to keep three quarterbacks on the 53. I don't see that happening. So the guy's got to be under the radar enough that he won't get claimed when you put him onto the practice squad. And I think Tommy DeVito is that guy. He, he's got enough of, of, of something in him that I think he's worth taking a flyer on, but I don't think he's high enough on people's radar that they would try to scap him up and then put him on their 53. So that's why I think DeVito was a really smart, wily, and crafty pick by the Giants because he's the perfect practice squad number three. And that's why we talk about this during the preseason. If you wonder why doesn't a guy play a lot in maybe the last two games, there's a reason behind it because they don't want to showcase him too much. They want to preserve that he's going to come back to them off of waivers. I wish the league would reinstitute the third quarterback rule. That's what I really wish because it's such a specialized position and teams don't want to, to be able or they don't want to forcibly put a third quarterback on their 53. No, because it's it's, it's a luxury teams don't 100%, have. 100%, and you hope you never even have to entertain the idea of bringing him in. It was actually brought back to the forefront with the Niners when yes. Brock Purdy and everybody else got banged up in that game. Then they said, well, if they had a third quarterback that didn't count against the roster, you wouldn't have to worry about it and so right. forth. And I'm sure... There's some food for thought that maybe the competition committee will discuss this offseason. doesn't seem imminent, though. It does that, That's going to be implemented. But there's value to it. There's no doubt about it. I, I'd love to see that rule come back. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. I, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? 
I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll try to squeeze in a call or two before we get to our guest. But first, a few reminders. The Giants Huddle Podcast, you can check that out on various different outlets, including Giants.com and your favorite podcast platform. Giants fans, you can take your fandom to the next level. Season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And the Giants official connected TV streaming app. Giants TV brings original video content, the game highlights on demand, and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. All right, let's open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Doug is in Glen Falls. He joins us here on BBKL. What's happened to Doug? What do you got for us? Well, um, this is more for Paul because I know you guys can't confirm it, but I read an article, according to Dan Duggan, that the Giants were going to sign this Whedon kid to it, like a $235,000 uh, $235, contract. I never heard them giving that much money. Now, Paul, you may know instances where they may gave that much money, but that seems like a lot of money for an extracted free agent that would be a throwaway type player. Well, if that number you is know, accurate, and I do not know uh, of, of any confirmation, that would be, as far as I can tell, the highest amount of money that the Giants would ever guarantee to an undrafted rookie free agent. But, again, I, I'm not in a position to confirm that. The players, these rookies, no. uh, will not be coming in. Uh, they're not coming in today. So um, I believe they'll actually start coming into town tomorrow. And then they'll be on the uh, okay. on the rookie camp uh, schedule on Friday and Saturday. And that's when all the riders right. will finally get here, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll let you know who's on the roster. Uh, Giants have over 60 players coming in for either uh, really? undrafted rookie signings or guys who are simply trying out. Tryouts. So they've got yeah. a bunch of them. They've got yeah. a bunch of them. Ford Wheaton has, what, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, height, uh, has 4'4", four, four speed. Uh, simply, I had him down as a potential dark horse to be drafted in the seventh round, maybe out of West Virginia. Certainly had him as a priority free agent on my radar. He does have a history of some dropsies. Um, he does have a history of not necessarily being quite as physical as you would like. But these are things that, you know, drop the guy out of the draft. Because if he had right. those other things or didn't have those, however you want to phrase it, he would have been taken by somebody. But he fell right. out of the seven rounds because there are things that do need to be polished up with him. He's, he's going to need some work. And if the Giants feel as though that, that he's worth a shot, well, that's great. You know, we'll see. And by the way, the Patriots, according to reports, they gave a hefty contract to an undrafted free agent who's a quarterback, a Cunningham, about two hundred grand, according to mm -hmm. reports. So it's not unheard of that oh, something no. like that happens. It, it, it's, but, it is big money. Though. Yeah, but sometimes it's because you really want to get a good look at the guy and you want to bring mm -hmm. him in. And then sometimes when you go through camp in the preseason, maybe the player doesn't pan out the way that you anticipated. So I wouldn't read so much into it that he's a guarantee, whoever the player may be, whatever situation may be, to make the roster. It's just simply you really oh, like correct. him and you want to get a closer look and you want to keep him away, obviously, from other teams. Because remember, it's a bidding war with undrafted free it agents. It is. And appreciate the phone call, Doug. And add this, too. By giving him the kind of deal that they're giving him, even if he winds up on the practice squad he might be more apt to stay. I, look, I know of a wide receiver some years ago was on the Giants practice squad, and he wanted to stay on the practice squad, and his agent said, no, 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 I, I can get you a roster spot on the 53 somewhere else. And he said, no, I really don't want to go. I want to stay with the Giants. And the agent said, no, you don't understand. I'm getting you on a 53 with somebody else, all right? They're, they're, they're going to scap you up, and he pushed the guy to go. The guy later on, I got a chance to come some years later catch up with him, and he said, you know what, I wish I had stayed on the Giants practice squad because things flamed out when I went to that NFL team, and obviously I never made it back to the Giants, and the shame of it was I liked that coaching staff, I liked that team. I thought if I had developed, I might have had a better chance of sticking with the Giants. Sure. Well, and that's why money 
is not necessarily always the best guiding light when it comes to a player. Opportunity, situation, environment plays a role too. I just I just wouldn't read so much into when a player, according to reports, may receive X amount of guaranteed money, that that means absolutely that he's oh, going to be retained on the 53-man no, roster. No, that's furthest thing from the truth. Well, no, that was the sense of the question that we got from the last caller, that perhaps if you read into it, you connect the dots. He may have been going there, but yeah. I'm not going no, there. No, no, I wasn't insinuating that you were going there. I, I just It's a reminder that other players have been put in that situation. And the quarterback, by the way, that I was referring to is Malik Cunningham, the Louisville QB, right. that just received a lucrative right. deal from the New England Patriots. So just something else to take into consideration. Well, we're not here to break down financial contracts. We're here to break down the rookie class for the New York Giants. And clearly the Giants found themselves quite the player. In the second round, in John Michael Schmitz, who has a very interesting background and is walking into a situation where he could very well be the starting center day one. And to get more into him, we are joined by a very special guest, a man who suited up in the NFL for 10 seasons as an offensive lineman, started his career with the Niners, was at the Vikings, Cardinals, Seahawks as well. And he actually has been training John Michael Schmitz in Minnesota. And that is none other than a former colleague of mine at Sirius XM NFL mm-hmm. Radio, Alex Boone. Alex, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Lance, it could not be better. And now that I'm on the phone with you, I am so psyched up right now. <laughs> <laughs> relax, Alex, relax. See, <laughs> my co-host may rival you, Alex, with respect to energy, but knowing you and working with you, I didn't expect anything less in terms of <laughs> Alex bringing the fire to this interview. And Alex, certainly appreciate you joining us and always great to speak with you. So for the sake of our viewers and our listeners to understand, I really want you to maybe take a step back in terms of the background info and how you connected with John Michael Schmidt. So Jeremiah Searles is his agent, who's a former teammate of yours with the Vikings. So how did that connection come about, and how long have you been working with John Michael Schmitz? So I've been working with J-Mike for a while now. Last year I opened a gym, and, and Jeremiah Searles and I partnered together, and I ended up being the trainer partner of it, and he ended up being the agent partner of it. And from there we took this O-line-based gym, and we've gone to the moon, Lance. It's just unbelievable. And John was one of our first guys. We have Cordell Bolson in the gym. We have great guys. And with John – it clicked immediately. His attitude, the way he approached the field, the, the film, everything about him. I was like, dude, we have to get this kid. He's incredible. And the entire step of the way, he has been phenomenal. And I think that the more I'm around these guys, the more I'm drawn to them. And I'm starting to figure out how they're made up. Because as a player, that's what I had to do all the time with the guys around me. How is this guy made up? What makes him tick? What's going to motivate him? What's going to make him better? When does he get mad? What makes him not get mad? And so the more I'm around these guys, the more I'm like, dude, this is just incredible. Alex, if you can, give us an indication as to how pro-ready you think he is coming out as a rookie to compete for a starting job, understanding that the Giants' center position is very much in flux as they go into this season. Oh, absolutely. I think Jay's ready to go. I mean, I think the one thing about it is as we were going through the rookie training, he was picking things up so fast and understanding things so well. And the fact that he moves the way he does. You know, one of the things is a lot of rookies come out and they kind of just go through the motions. And I say that because it's not like they're actually going anywhere when they're run blocking or when they're pass blocking. But with Jay Mike, everything with him has a purpose. So with him, we threw him in with the vets early and they ended up loving him. Chris Reed, Cordell Volson, Lewis Kidd, Zach Johnson, they were like, this kid's unbelievable. I was like, I know, right? Every one of them loved working with him. I mean, loved working. Billy Turner was talking to me like, oh, my God, this kid's I'm like, dude, you have no idea. And the one thing everybody loves about him is how smart he is. It's easy to be tough. There's a million tough guys, but how smart can you be while you're trying to be tough? And Jay is one of the best at it. As comfortable as you can be, Alex, because I don't know how much you want to go into details of what you specifically did with him, but can you give us a general idea of the kinds of things you did to help prepare him for the NFL, aside from what he was doing at Minnesota? Well, obviously, apart from the fact that he's just a phenomenal player on the field, one of the biggest things we do is teach him the offensive systems. We sit them down. We say, this is what everybody calls the defenses. We teach them blitzes. We teach them concepts. We teach them where they're looking. We start installing plays with them so that when they do sit down with these coaches, they can sound like a real vet. They can talk like an NFL player and not go, oh, I don't know what that is. I mean, I, I was so sick of hearing that. I'd sit up there and be like, hey, this is fun. You know what that is? You'd be like, I don't know. Oh, my God, you guys, this is so simple. But that's why they don't make it. It's because we don't have all day to teach them these things. So trying to teach him earlier, he just grasped it so much better. And then when we started putting him in with the vets to actually run through run plays and pass blocking, he just looked so 
level. And he calls an offense so well, and he mics people for us, and it was just phenomenal. Well, speaking of the system, Alex, I find it interesting because Searles was with Brian Dable in 2018 in Buffalo, and he obviously has familiarity with what John Michael Schmitz is going to run with the Giants. So how much does his intel of Dable's offense apply to what you ran system-wise with John Michael Schmitz this offseason? Everything. Well, now going forward, everything will go to that system. And it was great because we were talking to Bobby Johnson and Bobby was like, John Jeremiah, it's great that you were in this offense. You can help us teach it to him. So they're already going sure. over today. They're going to start going through everything and start saying, hey, listen, this is how Dable likes it done. This is how Bobby wants it done. This is how it all works together. That's one of the things that's going to help these young players make it in the league faster. Should they walk in, they understand the expectation and what you're supposed to know. And, hey, if you don't understand this, ask a question. This is all the things that these guys need to be learning. The coaches loved it. All right, Alex, so what's still missing as he takes the next step to become an NFL center and hopefully a starter sooner rather than later? What does he still have to polish up, improve on, discover about his game? Because obviously, uh, Carl Banks likes to say, these rookies aren't just add water and they're ready to go. they got a little work to do. Oh, absolutely. It's a million reps. It's a million times of failure, right? When you go out there and you're practicing and you're understanding what's going on, you need to fail at times to be like, you're right, oh, I messed that up, because you won't see it. Oh, I'm fine, I caught it here in practice. Sometimes you need to go out there and get beat. And then somebody says, see, I told you, you're leaning too much. You're right, so right. I mean, you can come in here and look great in your underwear, and we can do as many drills as we want, and I can try and push them as hard as I can, but we can't get to the point that they need to be. And that's what he's going to learn in training camp and OTAs. And that was one of the things that we talked to him about is, you're going to lose at times. It's okay. Don't be like all these other rookies that put their head down. Stand up tall, be a man, understand how you got beat, and go back and fix it. You have to learn how to self-diagnose. It's the biggest problem. Guys are afraid to say, oh, I messed this up. Instead, as a pro, you need to say, I didn't do this right. I'll never do that again. And that's one of the things that I think J. Mike is going to have to learn as a rookie. Well, Alex, on a related note, how do you rattle a prospect like that, especially if you're not in a game, right? When you're breaking down the film with them, when you're working out with them during the course of the offseason, how do you simulate a situation where you put him in that scenario that you were talking about where maybe he does mess up, but he has to understand you need a short memory, especially to carve out a very lengthy role in the NFL? So all week we basically do drills to make them ready for Friday. And then Friday is a big sort drill. We throw five guys out there and we say, all right, we're in two jets. Here's your defense. Here's your blitz. And we put guys on the other side and we say, this is the blitz. And we have them go. And we say, okay, what did we learn? Oh, I need to be over here more. I can't punch as much over here. I got to stick. All of a sudden it's like, now we're learning. Now we're understanding. Now will you do this with pads on? I don't know. I hope so. I'd like to think you would because you've done this your whole life. So it's like the more we can start helping him gain it faster, understand, see the speed, be around guys like Chris Reed and Billy Turner, that's what's going to make him better faster. So from his time at Minnesota and now working with you also in this whole training program, uh, how much you, you said Bobby Johnson's already talked to you guys so that you, you understand there is some overlap from Dable's offense. How, how much of the playbook do you think is going to surprise him when he gets here? You've talked about how mentally astute he is, but I'm sure you haven't covered everything that the Giants are going to throw at him once he gets into the building. No, absolutely, and that's part of being a rookie and being a new guy and also how do you blend in. And I think to before of like, how do you mess with a guy? A lot of it is you kind of throw a lot at him Mm -hmm. and then come back later and say, what do you remember? What did you learn? talk to me i mean there was times during this rookie progression we were doing tests we do tests just like they do every friday in the nfl we start throwing tests at him hey how much did he pick up from this week how much do we need to teach him and as we were going j mike was learning at a rapid rate but now you're right there are still things that he'll need to see on the field there's a million things we haven't taught him but for taking the steps that we could with him he's done a phenomenal job we're talking about Alex Boone, longtime NFL offensive lineman. He's training John Michael Schmitz, the Giants' second-round pick in Minnesota as he gears up to make the transition to the NFL. Alex, if you look at his tenure at Minnesota, clearly the Golden Gophers were a very run-heavy team. They were top 20 nationally in rushing offense. So a lot of people are saying, well, you know, he's so astute in terms of his run blocking, but maybe the pass protection is not where the run blocking is. I'm curious what you've seen and how much you think he's come along in the pass protection department considering he wasn't such a run-heavy offense in college? 
Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that was a big question mark going in. But when we got him in the gym, it was the same thing. He's so strong and he's so quick and he has such great hands and his leverage is so low to the ground that he's so balanced at all times. He moves extremely efficient from A to B. Like one of the things that a lot of the vets were saying was, wow, this guy doesn't move like everybody else. I was like, no, he moves with a purpose. If you tell him he needs to be there, he's there ready to go. Now there's things that we had to work on. I think that a lot of college players overset at times. So trying to teach him like, hey, listen, this is our angles. This is where we stay. We are always inside out. We always first strike. All these things became important. But like we've talked about, he's a young player. He's going to lose some battles. We told him the biggest thing is how do you come back from that? What do you learn and how do you fix it? And that's one of those things that in a game it becomes tricky because you feel like the world is watching and you don't want to admit your faults and you're kind of like, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, it was a mistake. But it's like, no, dude, know the difference between a mistake and wrong and fix it. If you can, Alex, and I know this is a little bit difficult probably to to put a, a, a complete adjective on, but we're always told that when guys come into the league, there's a mental adjustment, there's an emotional adjustment, and then there's a physical adjustment. Now, from what you've told us, mentally and emotionally, it sounds like he's mature beyond his years and he's smart beyond his years, so those may be fairly easy for him. Physically, we haven't discussed physically how will he match up against the size and the speed of the defensive tackles in this league? Uh, I think he'll do pretty well. I think that's going to be another adjustment for him, is this, especially in your own division. I mean, you guys come from a very tough division. That's <laughs> sure. one of those things that's like, yep. hey, we're looking at Philly twice a year, right? We're like, oh, boy, here we go. But that's one of those things where you say, hey, listen, he's young, he's tenacious, he's ready to get after it, he should be fine. And I, and I like this group, and I love the way Dable runs his offense, and I love, this, I love his whole mentality. And I feel like J. Mike's going to just thrive on that. And the whole, we're out here to beat someone's ass, like that whole thing is awesome. And that's what he wants to do, and that's what's like, hey, take that and just throw gas on it. Alex, you've referenced his smarts, and clearly it goes without saying you need that to play the center position because there's so many adjustments and so forth that you can attest to that you need to make. I'm curious because, you know, you were a four-year starter at Ohio State. He went back for a sixth year at Mm -hmm. Minnesota, and he's older than most rookies, right, at 24. How beneficial do you think that was, that he decided to go back, even though probably could have gotten drafted last year, and do you think that's added to the intellect that he's gained in playing? playing the center position. Absolutely. And I think one of the other things is done is gain to his leadership. I think that him coming back was huge for those guys. And I think it was good for him too because it kept him in a responsible role. And now you say, hey, listen, now you're a rookie in a bigger room, but at the same time you're not as young as everybody else. Like you said, he's more mature, which is great because as vets, that's kind of what we want. Mature players. Guys that we can depend on, we can count on. I know you're not going to be out late doing anything stupid. These are all the things that fit into his wheelhouse very well. Technical question for you, Alex. I know he's got an odd way of snapping the ball. And when he was asked about it when he came here to the Giants facility after he was taken, he said, look, I'll snap it any way they want. I can handle any kind of snap that they want me to do. But, yeah, I kind of felt comfortable with this odd way, and and he's been used to it. Could you break that down for us exactly? What are they talking about for the, the layman out there who may not understand about his different snapping technique? And do you think he will, in fact, wind up using that when he gets to the league? I will tell you guys, like I told him, you will do whatever your quarterback tells you. (laughs) And he looked at me and said, you got it. I said, that is not a debate. You understand me? Whatever he wants, give it to him. And what the problem was, a lot of times in college now, they're doing these dead ball snaps where you put the ball on its nose and you grab your hand over the laces and then you snap it back and it comes back and like straight up and down very slow, kind of like a rainbow, really easy. But in the NFL, we like a spiral back. You grab it like a football, you sling it back there quick, and it's it's one of those things where people think it's really weird. I don't mind either way. John can do either. We've snapped both ways. We worked pistol, we worked under, we worked gun, we worked dead ball. I told him, I don't know where you're going to go, but whatever quarterback you get, you need to be ready for what he wants because he is the most important person in your life now. Alex, again, we appreciate your time so much. I don't know how much more you have to give us, but let me ask you this. Going into the draft, how did you feel the odds were that the Giants were very interested in him and might actually take him? Did it seem to you that there was a hot trail there? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, from what they would have been saying, and obviously J. Mike fits into this so well. It just looked like one of those things. As 57 was coming around, Jeremiah called me and was like, dude, I think this is it. My heart stopped. I got so <laughs> excited for him. I mean, dude, this is the perfect scenario. I cannot tell you how excited I am to see him in that blue. Well, especially, Alex, to your point, because Searles knows the offense, and you've already at least been breaking that down for him, and then the Bobby Johnson connection, it just seems, to your point, an ideal fit. And also, he's coming to a team where he has a golden opportunity to come in day one Mm -hmm. and be the starter, and that leads me to, Alex, you've been with your fair share of offensive lines, and I like to use the term the game of musical chairs, where things change year to year, and you always need to be aware that you may be playing next to a new left guard in week five and a new right guard. How does that process work for a center maybe differently than another offensive line position? And how prepared do you think he will be to transition to where game to game you may change in terms of who's to the left and who's to the right of you, but you still need to remain focused on the task at hand? Absolutely, and that's the old lineman's number one goal. The guy next to me might change, but the mission is still the same. But even for J-Mike, like the one thing that's always nice about a center is everybody works around you. Because you are the most important person on the field. I know everyone says it's the quarterback, but who touches the ball more than the quarterback? The center. And that's why, like, whenever you fit into a new system, like, as a guard, if you were coming in to play next to a center, you're like, I'm going to stay out of his way. I'm going to make him happy. That's why it's like, as a center, it should never change for you. Everyone's always catering to you. They're constantly answering questions for you. They're making their ways for you. Like, they're moving around you if they need to. Nobody gets in the center's way. That's why it should not bother him. Great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, really can't thank you enough. Tremendous insight. Uh, good luck working out with the offensive lineman in Minnesota. It's great that you got that gym up and running, and definitely look forward to catching up down the road here. Great conversation, Fair. Alex. Thank you so much for the information. You guys are the best. Anytime, I'm back on with you. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's gonna guard, and then on I'm top of it, like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. You got Thank it, you. Alex. Always Be good well. speaking with Alex Boone, former NFL offensive lineman. He's been with John Michael Schmitz for the last few months, and you could tell they're really putting him through an NFL clinic, essentially, based on what he was describing. It's not just—I want to emphasize this, and I know Alex talked about this, but John Michael Schmitz wasn't just going through motions with veteran offensive linemen. They were having film study, and they were putting film up in the gym, and they were going through, okay— Where's your adjustment? Because when they get through the interview process, Paul, and these teams bring John mm-hmm. Michael Schmitz in, they're going through simulations. Sure they're saying, they okay, how do you handle this blitz? So they were preparing him for a big part of the mental test leading into the combine and so forth. Look, we know that a lot of these college prospects are going through certain types of camps or certain types of training sessions to try to prepare for the NFL. Some of them are more detailed than others. Some of them are more physical than others. Some are more mental than others. It sounds to me like Alex Boone gives you the whole package. He clearly was very much involved in the schematics and the film study, as well as the the on-the-field preparation stuff. So it sounds like uh, John Michael Schmitz got the whole salad bar. I had to get a food analogy in here somewhere. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Lance? It sounds like he got the whole salad bar. And look, unless I misread his enthusiasm... It does sound like he is a plug-and-play, ready-to-play center in this league. Not that we had doubts about that, but listening to Alex talk about him, the confidence and the assertiveness that he had in all of the positives that he that he gave uh, John Michael Schmitz certainly made me feel even better about the pick. 
Well, the intellect to me is step one. I mean, we could sit here, right, Paul? We could talk about the physical specimens on the offensive line. If guys don't have it up here, Mm -hmm. and I'm pointing to my head for those not watching, it's going to be some tough sledding to play catch up there. And, you know, to his point where he said, hey, you snap the ball the way your quarterback wants to. Yeah, wasn't that that a great answer? Correct, but that's part of the mental transition, meaning you've got to be able to adapt. If Daniel Jones wants the ball, one way and you're used to doing mm-hmm. it another way you got to put in the time and I'm not questioning that that's going to be an issue but also the fact that you're going to play next to brand new guards that you've had no experience it's a new offense the NFL is going to test you with these defensive linemen in ways that Minnesota did not get tested because it's just a different style of play from one level to another but the fact that veteran offensive linemen I think this is maybe the biggest compliment, more so than maybe what Alex would say about him from working closely. If the Billy Turners of the world, who coincidentally just signed mm-hmm. with the Jets, right? if they're working out, right, because they have veterans at the gym, they have and they're blown guys, away and by they him. are going to Alex Boone and saying, well, this kid, John Michael Schmitz, he's ooh, got it. He's got a head yeah. on his shoulders there. That, to me, is the ultimate compliment, because here's the thing, Paul. What incentive do they have complimenting None. him? None. Like, Alex has something to gain, right, because he's a client. No doubt. I get that. But random offensive linemen who are working out and passing? What do they have to say? So the fact that they're noticing that, and I do think, you know, everybody gets scared. 24 years old, he's got extra mileage. I'd rather have my center come from a sixth year uh, of experience. Offensive linemen sometimes yeah. play into their mid to late 30s. True. No, but what I'm saying is I don't think it hurts that he's a little bit older oh, no. than most rookies well, for that position. Well, again, the, the mental and emotional maturity aspect, he's already yep. further along. And that, to me, I think is going to be extremely beneficial. Not just for Daniel Jones, but for the other guys on offense, too, that could maybe absorb things. And the other thing that I don't think hurts, not that he needs pats on the back, but having a guy like Carter Coughlin, who you were in college with, to at least help assimilate you into the Giants organization, just like Jeremiah Searles has a connection Mm -hmm. to the Dable offense. There's a lot of, you connect the dots here, he's got a lot of tie-ins to the Giants organization before he even stepped onto the field. So that certainly bodes very well. We thank Alex Boone for his time and insight once again. Let's open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Wilson is in Roxbury joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Wilson? What do you got for us? Hi. Hey, guys. Hey, Lance. Hey, Paulie. How you guys doing? Very well, well, thank you. What's on your mind? How are you? Hey, listen, uh, uh, three points real quick. One on the draft, on Saquon, and on this crazy uh, Super Bowl odds. On the draft, right, I heard you guys a lot of times saying, hey, you know, maybe they just want to hit a single or a double and should be happy with that. If that's the case, according to the experts, because, you know, because you don't know on the draft, you don't know, but according to the experts, the Giants hit like a, they hit a grand slam. I mean, they got a they, well, they got a cornerback that they never thought they were gonna get ever. They got a center that a lot of people were saying they were gonna pick in the first round, and they got a, a receiver that a lot of people were saying uh, late first, middle second. So according to that, well, it was good value all around. Well. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it, Wilson. I, I think the takeaway is, and I was talking right. about this with John earlier. For the top three picks, where they were projected going into the draft and where they got them, you can't argue about value. How it all plays out and pans out, we don't know. we got to see these guys go out there for three to four years. That's why I understand that grades are something that the public likes to consume. But how many times, Wilson, do you go back, okay, the 2020 draft grades, you should be looking at them now. And let's see how accurate people were now that it's three or four yeah. years down the road. Wilson, I go back to what I always say, because grades, especially within the first three years, are just worthless. I'm with Lance on this a thousand percent. I simply say, you look at the perceived value, you look at the need component, how well did they match them up? And in the Giants' cases, the, fir- uh, the case, their first four players, their first round, their right. second round, their third round, and their fifth round pick – all seem to meet both of those criteria. It meshed very, right. very well. So if you want to say it looks like they were very efficient and, right. and very productive, you can say that. As far as right. grades are concerned, only a fool would put out draft grades right after no, the no, draft. I, I, I wasn't putting up grades. I was just saying that uh, according to the experts, you know, because I, like I said, you, you, Paul, you, you don't know. You don't know. I mean, the guy could be a bum, could be a bust, but you don't sure, know. We but, have no right. idea. I, yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. According to the according to what the experts they they did really well. Well, really, experts I, I, is a term used very loosely. Mm-hmm. We should mention Wilson, depending on who you think is an expert. But anyway, go ahead. Well, like you know, like those guys that get paid to do mock drafts and stuff like that. Well, like I said, a lot of people go crazy on the draft. I'm not. I, I don't do that because uh, 
listen, there's some great players that have uh, been through the league that they were undrafted free agents. So you don't sure. know, Paul. But so listen, and Saquon, real quick, right? And then uh, and Saquon, can the Giants take away the franchise tag if they want to? Can yes. they say, you know what, forget it, man? Yes, they can, they, right? they can rescind so, listen, it. Correct. Yes, so they can rescind it, right? So yep. so real quick, you know, the the draft is over. Everything that's it's all over. I think it, it's time to stop playing games. I mean, uh, I mean, he made a mistake last year. He messed with the market, whatever the hell it was. We we went through this already. It, you know, they, they got to do something. Either he signs a tag, or if he doesn't, you know what? Take one. We we'll go different ways. I mean, uh, Wilson. Wilson. Need- here's what's going to happen. One of two okay. things will happen. He'll either mm-hmm. sign a long-term deal before July 17th, or he's going to sign the one-year tag by July 17th. Those, those are your two options. He is not going to sit out the year. He's too much of a competitor to do that, and he's not going to waste a year of his career not getting paid. That's not going to happen either. Yeah, he may wait, though, Paul, to sign the tag beyond July 17th. It's possible. He could wait to do that oh, before yeah, camp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't look at July 17th. What I'm saying is, yeah. I should take that back. Yeah. He will decide in his mind that he's going to decide but, the tag sure. by July 17th and probably not sign until a week before opening day. Correct. Because remember, once you sign the tag, you have to show up. And now to you're all subject mandatory. to fines if you don't exactly. show up. Exactly. That's why I don't see that Correct. happening. I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, all good. I just wanted to make He'll sure. He'll have the you decision in his page. head, though, by the 17th of July. He will know. No, no, he will I, know I, what he's going to do. No, no, no. No, I understand that. What I'm saying is the Giants might make the decision for him. The Giants, get, you know, because you don't know who Joe Shane can wake up one morning, he has a bad morning, you know. I know this night, organization whatever. wants him here very badly, and they are okay, not well, going to pull fine. that tag. Yeah, I mean, you okay, have to have a reason fine. to just want to part ways with him, too. And, okay. you know, you can't sell me on salary cap restraints right now. Joe Shane even admitted they have ways that they can loosen up the cap if need yeah. be. Okay. It's not like he's okay. a burden from a financial situation. He's a placeholder because he's on the franchise right. tag. Okay. So okay. I, I think you're reading too much into They're it. They're not letting him walk for nothing. Okay. It's yeah. not going to happen. Well, I'm not. Okay. And my last thing is this, Paulie. I know that there are guys, and Lance also, I know that this is crazy. This Thank you for including me in the conversation. I was worried. But go ahead. No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lance, man. <laughs> I love you, Lance, man. Okay, you know, don't worry. Uh, I'm glad I'm moving up in your book. I was concerned. Yes. Yes. You put up, listen, you and Paul put up with me. So, listen, I love you guys. Go ahead. That's Go why ahead. there's the no, therapy listen, session listen, coming listen, up after this show. Real yes. quick, Wilson. One yeah. more point. Yeah. Real quick. What do you we got? got other calls. Okay. All right. In what world, right, the Saints, the, the Broncos, the Packers with no quarterback, and uh, and uh, the Dolphins, uh, two other, can, they can throw the ball 20 yards down the field. In what world, right, they have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl than the Giants? I mean, they, 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 why is it so disrespectful to the Giants? Who said that? Well, he's probably looking at Super Bowl odds. Yeah, are, he's looking at the odds. No, no, don't well, waste your time, yeah, Wilson. You, I, I don't I, waste my time. Well, it just bothers me. Well, but you, but you do. <laughs> you, you, you get all worked up and appreciate the phone call, Wilson. He says he doesn't waste his time, but clearly he's looking at this stuff, is he not? Are you going to get that time back? And that is a waste of time. Yeah. Well, and first of all, I would disagree with his sentiments about the Saints, the Broncos, and the Dolphins not having quarterbacks, by the way. I mean, the Saints went out and got Derek Carr the yeah, last time. I yeah, and Derek I under- Carr can play. And I understand Russell Wilson had a rough year, but I think Sean Payton is going to do wonders for him, and I think he's going to have a bounce-back campaign. So <laughs> l- let's slow down that those teams don't have quarterbacks. That was number one. Yeah, so you feel the Giants maybe should have better chances than some other teams? That's fine. I mean, we could sit here all day and speculate all we want, but it's April, it's May, excuse me, 3rd. I wouldn't get over worked uh, over the Vegas odds. The at this odds point. experts, Lance. Yeah, the, that's right. Yes, that's yes. why I said that term experts, man. You gotta yes, be careful yes, how you yes, associate. Yes. Let's uh, head back to the lines. We got Mike in Brooklyn with us. Mike, what's happening? Hey guys, how you doing? Hello. Doing all right. Um, what's on your mind? It's been a while. I'm doing okay. It's been a while since I called last time. I, Lance, you on the show? I'm pretty sure you were too. Uh, last time I called, we were in the weeds. I was talking about. Um, Jim Otto having like 78 operations on his on his body because of the football career. Yes, sir. And and we were, Lance and I were well Lance, but he had a leg amputated in 2007. And Lance thought I was going to say we should have it put his uh, amputated leg in the Hall of Fame next to his bust. <laughs> it was a funny situation. You had to be there. But anyhow, the thing I am think, thinking about when I saw the top top three. I, I think everything went according to exactly, well, not even exactly, better than they would have thought. But 
I see a, I see a chip on his shoulder and Jalen Hyatt. Um, he even mentioned it during his first interview. Um, I think it was with Sean O'Hara that uh, you know he wish he should have gotten picked earlier. I think this kid's, this kid's going to show something. I'm not sure how much of the field he's going to see because of the you know the route tree and the uh, and the uh, the scheming of it. But I think he's going to um, he's going to have uh, he's going to show something if he gets a chance. I also am a, a fan. I'm not a fan. I'm a, can't say a fan, but I also am curious about uh, the cornerback. The we got Javarius Owens. Um, I think Owens. Was, Owens, yeah. The seventh Owens. rounder, Owens. yeah. Yep. L- looks like he likes to come up. The, that's a must in, uh, in Wink's uh, defensive scheme. So I'd like to see where he's, he's going to probably have to make his, make his bones with the. Um, uh, you know, in special teams at the beginning, but uh, I like the way our secondary is shaping up um, uh, as of, you know as of now. Uh, but uh, anyhow, it's been a long time since uh, I, the, the draft season for me is is I I, I just can't stomach the the, the length of it, um, and I'm so glad it's post the draft, and now we're looking at undrafted free agents and whatnot, and getting into mini camps and watching and, and, and the meat of the season. So uh, I'll be calling a little bit more often because this is what football is all about to me. And uh, all right, I Mike. thank you guys for taking yeah, my call. Appreciate thank you. the phone call. Yeah, it's been a, a lengthy process. There's no doubt about it. And before you know it, we'll actually be able to see some players out on the field. But we still got a long way to go. Remember, yep. roster's not going to be finalized tomorrow. But now they have actual prospects that they're going to bring in-house. Rookie minicamp will be this weekend. And the Giants will continue to peruse and see what their options are to finalize the 90-man roster. Because remember, mm-hmm. at this stage of the season, you carry 90 guys on the roster Correct. before you have to get down to 53 before the start of the season. As far as Hyatt is concerned... Most prospects should have confidence. And I think that's what he was insinuating, Paul. And Hyatt did give that off when he spoke to the media. But I don't know if that necessarily separates him from the rest of the pack. You know, and and Hyatt should know this better than anybody, just because you got drafted by a team, they don't lay out the red carpet for you. And how many times has Brian Dable said, once you get in the building, it doesn't matter where you were selected. So I think he fully understands that. And I think most of the guys in this class are very confident that they need to come in and continue to make an impact if they want to solidify a spot. I think you have to have the mentality. Yeah. If you if you come in thinking that, oh my goodness, you know, I can't believe I'm here, the deer in headlights kind of look, you're doing yourself a disservice. Or that you're entitled to something. Too. Absolutely. Could be the opposite. Yeah, you're yeah. definitely making a mistake if you do that at all. Um, the Giants have 74 players under contract. They've got Barkley holding the tag, which makes 75. They've drafted seven rookies. That comes out to 82. So going into the minicamp, the rookie minicamp this week, they have eight roster spots to get to 90. Now, that's not to say that they could always displace some guys on their their current roster. That could happen. Yeah, they could shuffle and make some changes. They could shuffle and make a couple of changes on the back end. But as it stands now, that's where they're at, Okay. Uh, they're not in a position where they're going to sign a ton of undrafted rookie free agents. Uh, they've got less than 10 slots available if if they're keeping all the guys that they went into the process with. So just keep that in mind when you see the 60 or so guys who are going to be coming in here this weekend. Uh, not a lot of those guys are probably going to be back for training camp come July. Or somebody may be sacrificed if they get impressed by somebody. Could happen. That's more of a reason why, not that we haven't mentioned this on the show, but the reason why we don't get into the weeds with respect to undrafted free agents is because until it's signed on the dotted line, things can change very quickly around this time of year. And then the other problem is, you know, I used to pick out a dark horse undrafted rookie free agent every rookie minicamp. The rookie minicamps are so lighthearted now, like everything else is, because of the CBA. I'll be frank with you. It's impossible. It's truly impossible now to watch a rookie minicamp roster from the sideline and think that you can really target a guy. It's, It's literally impossible now because they do so little on the field with these guys. I would love to be able to tell you who my dark horse is this year. But I don't think I'm going to see enough to be able to actually make a judgment. 
That's why it's funny the last caller was talking about he likes this time of the year because we don't have to speculate about the draft. But the bottom line is wait till training camp starts when you actually put the pads on. <laughs> and then we can start talking about who's making For it sure. as opposed to the spring season. It's still the slow process. But, hey, we're inching closer to football, and that's obviously a big positive. All right, that is going to wrap up Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. Today's episode is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcasts. We'll be back up and running again on Thursday right here at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks again to Alex Boone for checking in and providing some great insight on John Michael Schmitz. If you missed that full interview, you go back to the archives when it's put up on all the Giants platforms. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Thursday right here on BBKL. Have a good one. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.